And as you're turning there, our sermon title for today is A Life Worth Living, Colossians 3, 1 through 11. Let me read our text over us. You feel free to read with me. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on the things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not... Greek and Scythian, Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. If you've been raised with Christ, we are two chapters into the book and chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Colossians, they have one goal, or rather two goals. Those two goals are pretty simple. They want to tell you This is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus does. This is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus does. It's simple enough. If you read through it with all of Paul's uh, wordiness, if you will, this is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus does. So if we're going to ask the question, who is Jesus? I'm just going to ask for a little bit of participation this morning. Who is Jesus? Based on what we've heard in Colossians... Who is Jesus? Just say words. I'm not going to call on you because I won't know your name and that will be embarrassing. He's the Son of God. He made everything. More. More. Who is Jesus? The image of God. Who is Jesus? The Messiah. Who is Jesus? He holds everything in place. Who is Jesus? Firstborn from the dead. Who is Jesus? The beginning and the end. Who is Jesus? The preeminent one. Who is Jesus? Life. God's chosen one. Truth. Savior. Yours are better than mine. But as far as the width of them, the breadth of them. But I do have some... uh, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is our sustainer. Jesus is our reconciler. Who is Jesus? He's those things that we have just put together in this room. What does Jesus do? What has Jesus done? He redeems. He intercedes more. He unites. He heals more. Took our place on the cross. That's good. Anybody else? Saves. Anyone else? 
comforts, yes. Forgives. So if we take those phrases, Jesus is, this is what Jesus does. He takes your sin and he gives righteousness. No one would disagree with that. He takes your shame and he gives standing before God. Who is Jesus? What does Jesus do? So the first two chapters of Colossians are very much about Jesus. Because the whole Bible is. And if anyone wants to argue with us about the whole Bible being about Jesus, that's a conversation for another day, but we can have it. But Colossians 1 and 2, Jesus-centric. Colossians chapter 3 begins to show us the practical implications of us being people who are united with Christ in Jesus. And it starts with this very simple phrase, since you've or if you've been raised with Christ. Which is conditional, but this condition affects every phrase from this point forward. Look at Colossians 3, 1 through 11 with me, and I want you just to, to amuse me. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your minds on things that are above. Since you've been raised with Christ, you have died. Since you've been raised with Christ, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Since you've been raised with Christ, you will appear with Him in glory. Since you've been raised with Christ, put to death sexual immorality. Put to death impurity. Put to death passion. Put to death evil desire. Put to death covetousness. Put to death idolatry. Since you've been raised with Christ, put to death all of these because these things are earthly in you. Since you've been raised with Christ, you don't receive the wrath of God, which is what you deserve. Since you've been raised with Christ, anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth and lying to one another, they're to be weeded out. Since you've been raised with Christ, you are being renewed and you are becoming more and more like Jesus who made you. Since you've been raised with Christ, you are united with people from every walk of life. Since you've been raised with Christ. That conditional clause gives meaning and depth to the rest of the clauses in Colossians 3 verses 1 through arguably the rest of the book. But for our purposes today, they give meaning and depth to 1 through 11. Since you've been raised with Christ. 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 I do not think that... Paul, when he wrote this, was taking for granted in any way what it means to be reunited with Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus reshapes things in scriptures. The resurrection of Jesus changes numerous things as we look through the course of Christian history. Let's think about what the resurrection of Jesus means for believers. When we look through the scriptures and when we look through time and history, we see these things taking place. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, we begin to see various shifts. Disciples who were mortified days before are now brave enough to die for the sake of Jesus. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, as we look at what Scripture teaches us, we begin to see this internal religion that is very specific to a unique group of men and women begins to be what is spread out to throughout the entirety of the earth because the resurrected Jesus has told them to go. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, some 
some things that are just practical change. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, people stop worshiping on Saturday and they begin to worship on Sunday. If this does not have any meaning to you, I need you to try to get church people to ever do anything anywhere. Since you've been raised with Christ, the resurrection of Jesus begins to have implications on the church as a whole. But here Paul comes underneath this as he's talking about Christ's resurrection. And he's saying, and this affects you personally. How does the resurrection of Jesus affect you personally? My grandmother passed away in January of... 2017. It was the week before I called the elders here at Grace and told them that I was coming. And she was a very unique person, probably the most influential person in, in my life as to how she shaped the way that I see Jesus. She shaped the way that I see prayer. She made sure that I was at church every Sunday. She really did uh, fill in for a mom and a dad for many years of my life. She was incredibly just a blessing to me uh, beyond the words that I'm expressing to you right now. She was also super quirky. And in her quirkiness, there would be times where I would um, just be bewildered by the things that she expected me to do. Uh, there was a time when she wanted me to begin to wear a cowboy hat and boots like she were a prophet. And she knew that I was moving to Texas. But she wanted me to, to wear these when I would preach on random stages. And I just asked her why. And she said, well, Chad... Um, for me, she grew up, she worked at a place that made saddles. And she said, I could always tell that someone was important by if they had a cowboy hat and boots on and a really big belt buckle. Can you imagine if I was dressed like Woody and Jared was dressed like Buzz here on stage this morning? What, how that would feel to you? So I'm out of town and I, I'm... I'm and, and she's always would say things to me like this. And, and I don't know if you've, um, you have someone like this. But my grandmother was always very intentional about it. She would say, Chad, make sure that everything is thrown away or that you take what you want from my apartment because when I pass, people are going to come in here and destroy everything. And in my head, I'm like, who's coming in and saying fire to your apartment, lady? She would... Tell me that when, if I were out of town when she happened to pass, that the rest of her children and her grandchildren were not to let me know she was gone until I got back from whatever I was preaching. And I'd say, why do you want me to do that? She said, because I don't want you to miss preaching to come to my funeral. And I said, I plan to preach that funeral. <laughs> Her last few days, she was in the hospital and um, I had been in Colorado, had seen her on Thursday night. They told us she would live a good while longer. But when I got back on Monday morning, I'm driving to see her and she's about to pass to my understanding. My cousin calls me and lets me know that she's gone. And that was super sad. It was heartbreaking just to think about her being gone. So I emoted and I went and talked to my wife. And, and I drove over there. And my aunt in her phone call said, And when you come into the hospital, they've moved her. She's now in room 322. 
So I walk into the hospital. I go up the elevator. I walk down the hall. And if every one of us who've ever grieved the loss of a loved one, we know how this feels. You know that when you see them, your heart is going to break. No matter how old they've gotten, it's going to hurt. We as a nation just got to watch some of this this week with, with Billy Graham and his passing even at 99 hurt. So I round the corner of the hospital. I walk down to room 322 and I take a right into the room and I'm walking towards her bed and I begin to weep loudly, deeply. And then I notice that she's moving. And I got closer and closer. And there I thought there was a resurrection when my aunt had just given me the wrong hospital room number. And I think my grandmother would have appreciated greatly the joy that this brought to me for the rest of the day. Resurrection. That's not a real one. Her real resurrection takes place as she sees Jesus for the first time. But in this life, she lived resurrected. Since you've been raised with Christ, this resurrection of Jesus is not just this ethereal thing that we think of. Honestly, that most of us as believers in 2018, it's a secondary, probably tertiary part of our faith. If the resurrection is not central, you don't get it. If the resurrection is not what changes the way that you live, then you're eventually going to exhaust yourself because you're trying to modify behavior that at its core is scarred. If you've been raised with Christ, here are the three things that we see. If you've been raised with Christ, you're what? The first thing that we see, your focus is decided. Go with me to 1 through 4. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. If your Bible says heart right there, say heart. Okay? Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Paul uses this emotive term in the book of Colossians. And the reason that he does so is because he knows there is an emotional understanding of God that comes for believers. If you've been raised with Christ, then you and I are to fix our hearts and minds on, on who God is. Specifically here, your heart. You are to have an emotional connection to Him. Now, where does that land? Does that land when we're in rooms like this? Well, well hopefully... Every now and then we'll look around this room and we'll see people who are emotively connected to the Lord. We'll, we'll see that as, I, as we hear you sing. I, I hear that as I ask you to talk to me on a Sunday morning. We are emotionally connected to who God is and what He has done for us in Jesus. Now for some of you guys, you look like you got tricked into coming here this morning and someone gave you a bag of Doritos and you're like, yeah, I'll go to there for a little bit. Since you've been raised with Christ, an emotional connection to God is part of what takes place here. This is not just a, a matter of you memorizing things. 
It's a matter of you being shaped. Information is not the goal. Transformation is. Since you've been raised with Christ, you have an emotionally deeper connection with God whom we sing to, who we hear from, who we pray to, who we get together because of. The resurrection of Jesus should bring emotional connection to the Lord. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your minds on things that are above. So what does it mean for me to set my mind on things that are above? It means that those emotions which are good and God-honoring are given their boundaries as to how they're supposed to work by us seeing and hearing from God and understanding how He would speak to us as His people. So we set our minds on things that are above through the Word of God. And when we set our minds on things that are above through the Word of God, that means for us, this is not just a weapon that we use, but it's a scalpel used to cut us, to pierce us, to reshape us. We set our minds on things that are above, knowing that God will use His Word to do work in us. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So I'm going to emotionally connect to the Lord because of who Jesus is and His resurrection. I'm going to refix and focus my mind on things that are above because of who Jesus is and His resurrection. And not on things that are on earth. What does this mean for us? So Paul's writing to the church at Colossae and he's saying to them, Look, you're going to look around you. And you're going to see people doing this, and they're going to do this, and they're, they're going to definitely do this. And when you see those things, those things can't be your end. Because Christ and His resurrection is your end. Those things can't be your goal, but because setting your mind and heart on Jesus is your goal. And those are distractions for you. Set your hearts and minds on things that are above, for you have died. You've died. And your life and my life is now hidden with Christ and God. You are with God because of the resurrection of Jesus. And that is where you hide. I remember when I was in high school and people started going to proms. I was a junior and... They let us know that we could buy our tickets for the problem. That, that came with multiple problems. We had multiple high schools in our area. And I knew the girls that I went to high school with. And I did not want to go to prom with them because none of them wanted to go to prom with me. So, I asked a girl who, who went to church with me if she would go to the prom. In hindsight, I asked her a little too early. Like January, not the time for an April date. But uh, I, and then we had to work through it. So, uh, but I asked her to go to this prom. And that meant a few things. Um, one, she was not old enough to go to the prom. She's a ninth grader. And unless you're invited by someone else, you can't go. So, she also did not go to my school. So, 
There are two things working against this lady from being able to do 90s dances like the running man with me all night. One of those is, that's not her place. The other was, that that's not her, her age. So, for her to go to prom with me, I had to buy a ticket. One for her and one for me. So, I bought the tickets. And she went to the prom with me. It wasn't her prom. We've got to be very clear about that. It was my prom. Because I had given her the ability to do so. And she got to dance and do the Carlton with me. Not because of anything that was within her, but because I had been able to give her the ability to do so. Everything about her being there was dependent not on her... But on me, since you've been raised with Christ, you have been, you have died. You do not belong in the presence of God. Except for who has invited you to be there. And that is the person of Jesus. You have not done enough, achieved enough. You have not been successful enough. You have not fed enough hungry children. You have not tithed to your church enough. You have done nothing enough because you were not asked to do those things in and of yourself. Your right to stand before God comes in Jesus. If that's not the truth, then we're doomed. Because we're super lame people. Set your hearts on things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above. When Christ, who is your life, appears. See, your life, your life is transitioned. When Jesus appears, you will be with him in glory. So our focus is decided because of what Jesus has done, hearts towards him, minds towards him, thoughts towards him. So so these things happen. Your focus is to say, you've been given what to look at, think about, to be and do. Not only is your focus decided, verses 5 through 9 tell us that your, your faults are defeated. Your faults are defeated. I want to to give you those senses again. Since you've been raised with Christ, you are to put to death sexual morality, put to death impurity, put to death passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Since you've been raised with Christ, you don't receive the wrath of God. Since you've been raised with Christ, anger, rage, malice, slander, obscene talk, those are all, all to be gone. Since you've been raised with Christ... Because your focus is decided, you can live as if your faults are defeated. So what are these faults that the passage talks about? Paul gives us a list. Don't we love lists? I I think there really are two types of people in the world. There are those who like a list and those who don't. My wife doesn't need lists to to deal with things at the house. She just starts doing and there's this tornado of clean happening around me. I get out of the way. Bob, weave, do the limbo, take a kid out. I move. But if she needs me to do things, I constantly call her. If she's gone, I text her. I ask her to write a list. She tells me that's dumb. And I ask again. Paul gives us a list here. 
just to go base level on us. Put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality. It's a popular one. Might have heard of it. What is sexual immorality? Anything outside of God's design for marriage. Man, woman, as husband and wife. Look, for whatever reason, people think sex is a bad thing. It's been treated like it's a bad thing. But when we read through the Bible, there are no clothes that anyone wears until chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. Sex seems to be a good thing according to the Bible. And those clothes only show up as a consequence. The relation between a husband and a wife in the scriptures is a good thing. And anything that is working on the outskirts of that is, is viewed as sexual morality. Well, what's impurity? It kind of leans into sexual morality, but it's something different. It's a little more general. So you go to a restaurant. Uh, you've been to one, I'm sure. And when you get there, the waiter comes and they brought their food to you. Or your food. I don't know why they're bringing you their food. But they bring you your food and, and you begin to look at this delicious plate of fried shrimp at Azel's. And you're thinking, these shrimp look so delicious and tasty. And you get your fries there. And ketchup. And then there's coleslaw that you're going to throw away. <laughs> But there, wrapped around two french fries, is a hair. Now there are some of you who are looking at me like, that's not a big deal. That is wrong. That is gross. <laughs> a small impurity changes it. Jesus says, since you've been raised with Christ these general impurities in you. They need to be dealt with. Passion lines up with those two. Evil desire. What, what about this? How you think about what you may or may not do if it does not line up with your heart and mind being set on things above? It needs to be dealt with idolatry what, what's idolatry idolatry is the idea of holding things or covetousness rather and idolatry covetousness the idea of having things in your life that you cannot live without that is idolatry because the only thing that we're to be able we are to not be able to live without is what God has done for us in Jesus so what does covetousness look like i don't even think we've used the word covet lately unless you're reading the bible it's our immediate response to when we get a raise that we need to go treat ourselves It's never thinking about how the resources given to us by God are from God, for God. And yes, there are times where we should find a internal pleasure in those. But also, how do these advance the kingdom? If we're never thinking about how our resources can advance the kingdom, then that's idolatry. 
So we've been told to deal with these. How are you going to deal with them? Well, five tells us how. First word, put to death. Put to death what is earthly in you. Put to death means to exterminate. To terminate. To eliminate. To, to kill. To remove. To make sure that whatever this thing happens to be does not rear its head again. That's putting to death. All of these sins listed in verse 5 are considered root sins. Well, what, what do we mean by that? They are sins that don't just settle on you. They grow into you as a believer. And though you may have a relationship with Jesus, if these are not constantly cultivated, they will affect you to where though you may spend eternity with Jesus, you will live as if you were damned. They bring misery. Paul gives a list because one theologian says it's easier for us to drift into a sin which one does not know by name than consciously to choose one whose very title should be repented. Kill these things. Those are root sins. Verse 7 and 9 show us shoot sins. Root, shoot, go. Seven, since you've been raised with Christ, remember this, you used to walk in these ways. But keep this, or verse six rather, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You don't get that since you've been raised with Christ. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So, we have sins that are growing in five. These sins, when they begin to grow, give birth to things in eight and nine. Have you ever had a moment in your life where your heart was cold towards the Lord and it caused you to be apathetic about the things that you said and the things that you did? Is this about curse words? Because, because lots of people like to read the Bible and just whenever we find something, we concretely say, oh, boom, Christians should not curse. Probably good. But, it seems that the mouth does more damage than just four-letter words that you may use. Wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Lying to one another? We don't just put to death the, the root. We make sure that all of the things that the roots have given birth to are, are taken care of as well. How serious are we about this? One says, one man says, when a tide of passion or a surge of anger is felt, it must be felt with as the alien intruder it really is. And turned out of the house as having no right to be there at all, let alone be giving orders. Go here with me. 
Imagine that someone were trying to come into your home. And in coming into your home, it is very obvious to you that they are going to do damage. You and I would put up every barrier, every boundary possible to keep that from happening. Most of us do not treat these sins in that way. We treat these sins as if they are estranged friends. Who for whatever reason we were hurt by, they hurt us, we hurt them, we have had distance that has been created. But one of us has made the decision to go back into that relationship and to cultivate and fix what was wrong. However, there has been no thought whatsoever into what was taking place in either one of us when those things went wrong. So, we welcome them back in and the problems that were there because they were never eliminated, they begin to rear their ugly heads again. We treat sin like it's cute. Our words, anger, rage, malice, slander, obscene talk, don't lie to one another. What's that mean? Does that mean bold-faced lying? Yes. What about the other types of lying? Because they're there too. But those don't get anywhere near enough credit. Put to death what is earthly in you. Put to death what is earthly in you. Put to death what is earthly in you. Because our faults are defeated. They're not just defeatable... Jesus is saying to us through Paul, put to death what is dead. Put to death what is dead. These things shouldn't have life. They shouldn't be alive. They are zombie corpses roaming around they can do deadly damage to us if we do not see them for what they really are. Finally, we see this in verses 10 through 11. Since you've been raised with Christ, your family has been declared. The passage says this, and then I'm going to give it to you with the, the clause in front. Since you've been raised, or rather, you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You've taken off the old self, you've put on the new self. Here, there is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and he is in all. So again, the book of Colossians written to a church that has some Judaizers who are making themselves known. Jewish people who have faith in Jesus but are trying to make the new Gentile converts Jewish. And Paul says, hey, that's not your identity and that's not your identity. Jesus is your identity. And then he would even say even further that, that you would look at the barbarian and the, and the Scythian. The barbarians were these... They're what they are. You know the term. Scythian, you probably don't know. They are the barbarians of the barbarians. They are the worst of the worst. They ride horsebacks. They shoot arrows. They eat puppies. It's a terrible, terrible people. Slave or free. So Paul has just said to a group of people who had taken the idea of slavery and it was part of what they were, you are no longer identified as this or this. The gospel of Jesus 
It is the primary glue. It is the only glue. And we would be opposed to one another greatly if not for this Jesus. But we've Americanized the gospel and we've Americanized the ramifications of it. One anonymous man says, The gospel came to the Greeks and the Greeks turned it into a philosophy. The gospel came to the Romans and the Romans turned it into a system. The gospel came to the Europeans and the Europeans turned it into a culture. The gospel came to the Americans and America turned it into a business. So we are united because of who Jesus is. But here are some of the things that pastors of churches have heard when trying to assimilate into smaller circles. What that means is we would put you in a group of people who you are united with because of Jesus. We don't have anything in common. We are in different life stages. We don't click. They have too many kids. They don't have enough kids. My kids don't like their kids. At what point do we decide the unity of Christians in the local church got its definition for how it was to function based on everything else around us. Because those are the parameters set by everyone and you and I say that we aren't defined by those, but by the resurrection of Jesus. Since you've been raised with Christ. And I'll be real with you. Nobody in my life group likes me. We're still working through it. We're there every week. No slave, no free. There's an arena in Carthage. 202 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Spectators were watching as a lady named Perpetua, pronounced that incorrectly, she's good with it, I'm sure. We're united in Jesus. She stood hand in hand with her slave, Felicitas. As they were fed to lions, these two people who were divided by the world's definition of division and by the definition of what you identify as, they stood hand in hand until they died because they were united in Jesus. If our preferences drive us, we will be trying to figure out how to play heavy metal Christian rap music with a banjo every Sunday and our life groups will meet at the halftime of everyone's kids soccer games and following their dance lessons while we all eat the cookies that the other kid is selling we are not united by anything but Jesus because we're a family 
You don't get to balance your family. You want to, but you don't. Our families decided because we've been raised with Christ. A, a closeness that is thicker than blood. I would pray that your neighborhood sees that. That your friends see that. I would pray that the kids that my kids play soccer with see that. I don't even understand soccer. It's communist kickball. It doesn't make any sense to me. But I hope, I pray, I, I beg that the unity of believers is held high. And that this unity, like the Jesus who unifies, will draw men and women to himself. Since you've been raised with Christ.